just just good to worship this morning, amen, just to be in God's presence. Um, let's, we're going to continue in our service this morning. Let's pray uh, for the message as we continue here. Pray for pastors he comes. Lord, we thank you so much for an opportunity to be here to worship. We just pray that as pastor comes, Lord, that you would again speak to our hearts this morning, um, that you would calm our fears, um, and that you would... Um, open our ears and, and, and minds to what we, it is we need to hear from your, your spirit this morning. So be with us, be with pastor in your name. We pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Let's welcome pastor as he comes. Yeah. Thanks, Brandon. How are we doing? Can I just say we're going to make it? We're going to make it. It's interesting when I uh, work on my messages, I'm usually pretty far ahead on our series, and um, as I was uh, going through this message and even this series that uh, we're doing now on finding true joy, um, you know, this series was laid on my heart months ago. So it's interesting how God works, and knowing what we're going to need at this particular time. And how many know we need to hear from God? We need to hear His Word, and that we're, we're getting bombarded by so much information and things change daily that it just can stress you out. And if we're not listening to God and if we're not feasting at his feet and worshiping at his feet and listening to him, it's easy just to allow everything in this world to bombard us. And it's interesting what fear can do and and, and how it can easily grip our hearts and how many know that God wants to give us wisdom and he wants to give us understanding on how we walk through this? But, but this can be um, the church's shining moment. This can be where we can stand up and show where our hope is to help others to find that hope. How many know that, that we live in a world that can change in a moment? That, that in this world, if we put our hope in this world, it, it, is, it is sinking sand. It is not a firm foundation but we have a firm foundation in Jesus Christ who never changes. And, and God knows our future. God knows the future. And so we can put our trust in him as we have wisdom as we walk through this. Amen? Amen? We're going to make it? Let's give the Lord a hand. Let's just thank the Lord today. We're few, but we're mighty. Amen. So we're going to make it. Um, it's interesting because so, so, so much of this can, can rob our joy. And, and we're in this series on... on on finding happiness and maintaining joy and how how do we even maintain joy and happiness and how do we not let all this stuff just stress us out when things are changing so 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 quickly and it's interesting i read a topic on on what made people happy and one article just struck me it was an article on the science behind joy and here are some of the things they said about the science behind joy and happiness they said first of all relationships are essential uh, time is more essential than money. Uh, having a grip on your finances or being grateful or serving other people or having physical activity all, all, all was helping people to find happiness. Um, I listened to a, a podcast not long ago and uh, they were talking to married couples who have been married more than 20 years. And they asked them this really interesting question because many of them had obviously more material things now than they did 20 years ago when they were first married. And they asked them to qu- this question, are you more happier now 
than when you were first married, even with the more stuff that you have now. And it's interesting, as they went around the room and as they they talked to these uh, different couples, not one of them said that they were necessarily more happy now, uh, and, and which they had more, and they had less when they were first married, but but they didn't equate that to their happiness. They said, I, I don't necessarily think we're, we're more happy now. And um, they thought about it. And what was interesting is all the couples began to reminisce about when they were first married and how they drove that clunker car and how they had to work very hard and how they had to work together and, and, and living in that small house or apartment, whatever it may be. And it just brought, brought back a lot of neat memories. And they all came to the conclusion that the material things didn't necessarily make them happier. Um, and, and I, and I like to talk to Kathleen about this too. We, we, I began to ask her, I said, you know, ask her about, you know, are you happier now than we were first married? Or what do you think about that? So we began to reminisce uh, about the first uh, years of our marriage, um, especially when we had no kids. When we had no kids. When we had no kids. All our kids are home now from college. They've canceled everything. Oh, pray for us. We have, talk about no food in our house, right? Uh, so... Um, and we talked about like the first uh, cars that we we had. How, how many of you remember the first the car you had when you were first married? How many of you remember the first car you had? Just shout them out. What what car did you have? A Desoto. Ruth had a Desoto. Ruth, I have no idea what a Desoto is. No, I do know what a Desoto is. I do know. Somebody yelled out a Pinto. Those are those are real safe cars, weren't they? They ended up real safe. Um, for Kathleen and I, we both had Ford Escort two-door manual transmission. Kathleen could drive a manual transmission. How many ladies out there you can drive a stick? Boy, Wayne County's tough, man. I love Wayne County. You guys are just, you guys are tough out there. I didn't, if I asked Lily what a manual transmission is, she'd have no idea. She was, do, do transmission, is that what's in a car, Dad? I don't know what a transmission is. Um, and so, you know, as we look back, we, we realize that, you know, uh, not necessarily that all those things are, you know, automatic transmission makes us happier, right? You, you are, if you really think about it, you were just as happy with that DeSoto or Pinto, right? Because it was new. And you're like, you didn't know any better. You were just as happy with that or the manual transmission two-door escort Ford uh, than we are now with the more bells and whistles. It doesn't necessarily make you more happier. So the, the question I want to ask you this morning is how do we maintain this joy in our lives, even in the midst of uncertainty? And, and let me just throw this question out to you. Can, can we live our lives with joy even when things are uncertain or not ideal? And, and, what, and what we discovered last week is this biblical definition of joy. What, what is a biblical definition of joy? And, and how can we maintain that joy in really just a topsy-turvy world, especially where we're living our lives today with the coronavirus. How can we live with this joy? Well, we gave a definition last week of biblical joy, and we've, we've come to discover that biblical joy is not an experience that comes from favorable circumstances. Boy, do we need to hear that today. Not favorable circumstances, but it's, a, it's, a God, it's God's gift to believers. And what we discovered is, is joy is this deep-down sense of well-being 
that abides in the heart of, of a person who knows all is well with their relationship with the Lord. Everything else around us may be topsy-turvy, but is it well with your soul? Because if it's well with your soul, it really doesn't matter what goes on around us. We can have this peace and this joy knowing that our relationship is right with God. And last week we discovered how the, how, how the Apostle Paul found joy even in the midst of difficult circumstances. And, and Paul, while in jail, we, we, we've come to discover last week as we were looking through his letter to the church in Philippi, we got the context of that letter in, in the circumstances where Paul wrote this letter to this church to encourage them. He had very fond feelings of, of the church in Philippi. And while in jail, we, we, we've, we've, we discovered that Paul lost his privileges. He had limited visitation. He was most likely chained to a guard, rare bathroom privileges, um, bad food. He had no toilet paper. I mean, Paul was suffering, okay? <laughs> Can we just laugh? Okay, good. Thank you. We, we, just, we just need to laugh about that. Yet in all this, he writes, be joyful in the Lord. And what did Paul know that gave him this joy in the midst of his gloomy surroundings? And I want you to listen to the words of Paul. And, I, and my prayer for you, that this will put things into to context for us here today and, and where we're living today. Philippians 4.4, 4, Paul says, always be, always be full of joy in the Lord. And I'm going to say it again, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And look at what Paul says later in that same chapter. And here, here's why Paul could rejoice even in the midst of the circumstances that he was surrounded with, being in jail, uh, having, having very poor conditions around him, horrible conditions around him. Why could he say this? Listen to what he says to them. And we need to hear this today. Let this grip your heart. Let this be an anchor for your soul today. He says, not that I was never in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. And I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty whether with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now let's put that into context because Paul says, listen, whether I had much or little or my my stomach was full or empty, I found the secret of contentment. I I found this secret of joy that my heart is anchored to Christ. And I believe if we if there's a message that we need to hear today in our world today, it's this. How do I anchor my soul to Christ? How do I find my joy in him? And I think, listen, in these times where, where, where we have to adjust, I think this is a good point for us to realize that maybe God wants to get our attention. Maybe God wants to speak to our hearts and we have to remind ourselves that our hearts are just idle factories and, and we tend to make good things ultimate things. We think that these things are going to deliver and the things that we have in our world are not necessarily bad or the things we enjoy are not necessarily bad. It's when we make them ultimate things. It's when we put our hope in those things 
That's what can rob us of our true joy that God desires to give to us. And so with these things that we're not doing or, or that we've had to stop doing, maybe it's God speaking to us to want to speak to our hearts and saying to us, where are you putting your trust? Where are you putting your hope today? And I think this word... From these words from Paul should ring so true to our hearts today and where, should we, where we should be putting our hope. Seeing what Paul had to endure puts things into proper pers- perspective for us. I heard someone say this on a podcast the other day. They said, contrast is the conduit to clarity. Contrast is the conduit to clarity. And, and what uh, I was listening to Hank Hanegraaff and what he said in, in the things that we're living in today, he goes, just put things, just contrast things. I mean, we, we forget that we've been through things like this before. And, and when, you, when you contrast that, it gives clarity to what we're going through t- today. When you see what Paul had, had, had to endure and what many of the disciples and the apostles had to endure, when we contrast what we're going through today, it does give us clarity. It's a conduit to give us clarity of what we're going through today, knowing that with Christ, he's going to give us strength, he's going to give us his hope, and with him we'll make it. Amen? If not, we get heaven. So that's a good deal, all right? I'll take it. And see, and, and I think that can help us to put things into perspective. And that's what Paul is doing for the Philippian listeners. He's saying, let's put these things into contrast. He goes, listen, I may be in jail. It may not be the most ideal situation, but I've, I've found the secret to contentment. I found it in Christ and him alone. That is my strength. And I can do all things, no matter what situation I may face, I can do all things through Christ. He's the one that gives me the strength. Amen? And so that's the contrast I think we need to, to, to set, to juxtapose our lives to, to see how Paul made it. And this is the type of joy Paul had. He had this, this joy which was an inner gladness or a deep-seated pleasure. Paul had this joy that was this inner gladness, this deep-seated pleasure. Because Paul's reference point was not other people. It wasn't his circumstances. His joy was based in his relationship to Christ. And that's what kept him stable. That's what, that's what kept hope in his heart. And so what was Paul's secret? Well, we know that Paul said this. His secret was contentment. We find contentment when our hope is in Christ. We settle down. We find contentment when our hope is in Christ. And so Paul was content with his relationship with Christ. That's all he needed was Christ. That was the thing that was giving him strength to get through what he needed to get through in his his present circumstances. See, contentment is a state of peaceful happiness. Lord, I'm content in you. I may not have these things at this moment, but that, that doesn't need to take away my contentment in you. My contentment is you. So let's understand how Paul maintain this joy because how many know that every single day there's this opportunity to rob your joy every single day something is going to come up that is going to try to rob you to distract you away from the lord it was interesting yesterday at um um our men's uh, gathering our socon men's gathering we had 19 men that met uh, yesterday morning it was a great time and there was a uh, we did a couple worship songs at the beginning. You know, everyone's walking in, and obviously the news over the week had, had really wrapped up and ramped up and ramped up. And 
we came in and there we 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 started off with uh this first song called build my heart and and um the worship song all revolves around trusting the Lord and 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 putting our hope in in Christ and it just at that just it took four or five minutes of a worship song just to recalibrate my heart for that moment and it was like God thank you for taking my heart my trust is in you and it was just I felt like there's no one else in the room but me me and Christ it was such a great song and a song of hope. And it just recalibrated my heart from all the stress and listening to all the media. And, and, then, my, and then right after that worship song, my phone blew up with just text and this and blah, 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 you know, and, and emails. And it's like, and I'm like, I could feel myself getting like pulled back like, oh, I better, you know, they just had a news conference. Monroe County just didn't do that. The Monroe County schools are closed, blah, 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 you know. And a research tech, you know. And I'm like, I'm like God, take my heart. Because I could see my joy starting to get sucked out of my heart after this great worship song. And, and if, I just felt like the Lord tell me, Barton, did you not even listen to the worship song you just sang two seconds ago? You're allowing this stuff to distract you again. And so that's why we have to be anchored in this. And, and Paul found this secret. What was his, his secret of, of, of keeping and sustaining uh, his contentment and his joy. And I believe we can find this. And I believe Paul shows us how we can find this. And so let's understand how Paul maintained his joy. Uh, his joy. First of all, we, we need to understand ourselves because we, under, we need to understand that our, our emotions are tricky, aren't they? Um, and, and Paul is not talking about this emotional high that we need to be on um, all the time. How many of you know that your emotions go up and down like a roller coaster? Have you ever been calm one moment and then and then something triggers you and then you're all worked up again? You know, have you ever done that in the car where you just you're singing a praise song and then someone cuts you off and then you just turn right into Satan? Right? It's just like in a minute, like it's like what just happened? I'm praising the Lord and now I'm all upset and I'm ticked off. Right? Um, have you ever felt good one day and then the next day you just feel the opposite? See, those are our emotions, and they're up and they're down, and we have to be really careful about that. Our emotions can be a roller coaster uh, if, we're, if we're not careful. So we have to understand that our joy cannot be based in our feelings, because our, our feelings are going to change every single day. So Paul wasn't basing his contentment on his feelings. There was something more that, that he was uh, doing here. Paul's joy and contentment came from his deep understanding that Christ was the source of his strength. Not the circumstances, n- not whether or not something was going to change the next day, because he wasn't sure. He, he didn't know where his life was going, but he did know one thing that Christ was his anchor. And so Paul's joy and contentment came from this deep understanding that Christ was the source of his his strength. And so we have to be careful not to, not to trust our, our, our feelings. But I think there is something even beyond that and the feelings and not, and we all know that our feelings can change every day. I think Paul discovered something in his life that kept his joy and contentment anchored in the Lord. Um, Paul, if you understand his life and you knew Paul's background, he was a very high-driven person, very religious. He was on the top of his game. He was very well-respected, very religious in all he did. And he thought he was a pursuer of God. He thought he was doing things to please God to the point to where he was persecuting Christians because he thought they were standing in the, in the way of Judaism. And so Paul was this high 
probably type A personality. And Paul discovered something in his life that completely changed when he came to Christ and bowed his heart down to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Paul was pursuing something in his life before Christ that he thought would bring him joy and contentment and identity and pleasure. And then when he met Christ and he juxtaposed his past to his present relationship with the Lord, he discovered a whole lot of things. But here was the biggest thing Paul discovered. And I think this is the thing that can easily rob us of our joy if we're not careful. Our joy cannot be based on our achievements. Now, let, let, me, let me dig into this because I think this is so important because this is something that Paul learned. We live in such a performance-driven society that, that, every, that the, the things that we are uh, rewarded for is how well you do. And I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to drill down in this even with our whole grading system at school. This is something we're constantly fighting with. And if we're not careful, this performance driven type of of ideal can easily um, come into our relationship with Christ and how we try to please Christ. I think for a lot of us, we struggle with our relationship with the Lord because one day we feel like we're doing really well and then the next day we feel like a a failure or we're we're trying to gain um, God's acceptance by how good we think we are or about all the good things we do for the Lord. And how many know that we're creating Christ Jesus to do good things? But if we're not careful, those accolades and, and the things we do for God can become this driving point to make us feel good, like I'm really pleasing God in what I'm doing here. And that's what Paul discovered was not the way to find joy and contentment. You cannot find it through your achievements. Our walk with Christ cannot be based on our performance. So God, thank God that he doesn't do this. He doesn't grade us. You don't get an A, which says you're amazing, you're an amazing Christian, or you don't get a B where you're above average Christian or a C you're just average or man you're just you're blown in D F whatever. Jesus shares this story about two people who came into the temple to pray. And it's interesting this story, Jesus sitting back and he's watching this and he's, he's sharing this with the disciples and he goes, if you want to know the heart of God and you want to know how to please God, this is what pleases him. This is what pleases him. So let me, let me give you the story here. It's in Luke. Luke records it for us in Luke 18 in his gospel. And Jesus uh, shares this story of two people, juxtaposes two life. One who thinks that their achievements for God and their performance for God is great and God's all impressed. And you got another person who just feels like a complete failure. Listen to the story. It says, then Jesus tells this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scored everyone else. So Jesus said, here's someone that put a lot of confidence in their achievements and what they were doing, quote unquote, for God. He says, these men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. The other was this despised tax collector, which everybody hated because they felt like they worked for Rome and and, uh, they felt like they were traitors. So you've got this very religious man and you've got this despised tax collector. And then the Pharisee stood by himself and then he prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, the cheaters, the sinners, the adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector standing over there. 
I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. whip de doo da day right? So he's, he's, he's counting. Look what he's doing. He's counting his achievements. He's counting his performance. Now, now is, is um, fasting wrong? Is, is tithing wrong? Absolutely not. Th- those are not wrong things. But look at the mindset. He's using those, right, to show God his performance. Look how righteous I am. Look how much I pray and that I'm not like everybody else. And then Jesus switches over and he looks at the tax collector and he says, but then the tax collector stood at a distance and he didn't even dare lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. He says, I tell you this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before the Lord. Now that word justified is really important. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I want you to understand something. Here's a thing that can rob you of your joy, can rob us of our joy. We have to understand this point, that God doesn't accept us based on our achievements. Can I have an amen? doesn't accept us on that. We don't earn God's favor through our works. Let's look at these two men in the story. One came to the Lord in his own merits and all he had done, and he was rejected. And the one who came and said that he, he was a sinner was accepted by God. In fact, the word there is used, the word we see there is justified. One, way, one went away justified, the other didn't. Which means the word justified there means that one walked away made righteous before God. See, God didn't accept the quote-unquote righteous works of the Pharisee because they were done in his own works. They were done to puff himself up. Where the sinner came and realized that he was a sinner, recognized his shortcoming before the Lord and needed God's mercy and grace. And God justified his life. God made him righteous, not because of his achievements or his works, but because of his heart and his confession and his need for God. You see the difference there? See, I think what robs us of our joy is this constant being on the treadmill of going nowhere fast in a hurry, of saying, God, am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? Or, or that judgmental heart that we can tend to have where we juxtapose our lives against other people and we see, oh, well, well, they've done this and they've done that, but I haven't been that bad. And then we make ourselves feel better. And we think that's going to give us joy or happiness with our walk with the Lord, but it doesn't. So God doesn't accept us based on our achievements. We don't earn God's favor through our works. See, in fact, God says, if you want to be justified before me, if you want to be made righteous before me, then humble yourself before me and I will exalt you. See, it's easy for us to look at the world and all the wrong things that the world is doing. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't speak into each other's lives as Christians when, when things are wrong and, and, and work on our relationships and, and humble ourselves to one another. That, that's what, what, what Christ wants us to do. But we'll rob you of your joy and your contentment in the Lord is when we don't allow God to speak to our heart, to move in our heart in areas that, that need to be moved in. When we're stubborn in our ways and, and, and our own righteousness and we think we're better than others, um, God rejects us actually. God will oppose us. 
But he gives grace to those who humbly come before him. He gives us contentment and joy for those who humbly come before him and admit that they're not perfect and they've made mistakes. See, it's God's goodness that makes us right before him, not mine. And that's really what Jesus is saying. He, he's saying the, the Pharisee thought that his goodness and what he did and the good things, and, and the, the specific things aren't bad things, they're the things that we should be doing, but he thought his goodness was the thing that justified him before God, not the other way around. Jesus says, no, it's not those things that you do that make you right. It's your humility before God and confessing your sin before the Lord that makes you right before him. When you get that straight, then the tithing and and the, the praying and the fasting are done with the right heart. They're not done with a heart that's self-righteous. It's done with a heart that is humbled before the Lord and says, I do these things not to glorify me. I do these things to glorify you. And, and listen, here's what happens. The reason why um, when we glorify ourselves and our works, that joy lasts just for a moment because it stops with me. But when I do things for the Lord and I glorify him through my life by the way I give and the way I serve and I serve others, all of a sudden it doesn't stop with me. It goes to the Lord. And guess what? I'm happier. I'm more joyful because it doesn't stop with me. That's why God says, listen, don't, I've given you everything so that you would be blessed so that you can turn around and and, and serve me and glorify me in your life. And you won't rob yourself of the joy that I desire to give to you. See, if anyone thought that they had a right to be justified before God and what they did, it was Paul. Listen to what Paul says about his former life before he knew the Lord. And he, he expresses this once again to the Philippians to say, listen, here's how you find joy. Here's how you find true joy in the Lord. But, but here's, here's what I did and here's where I put my confidence. And I was completely wrong about this. He says, though I myself have reason for such confidence, if someone thinks that they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day. I mean, he's following the law right to the the letter. Of people of Israel, I was a tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. No one could question who I was. And he goes, I put my confidence there. And Paul, before he was a follower of Christ, put his confidence in what he did religiously. He put his confidence in his zeal for this self-righteousness. But see, the problem was Paul was more in love with the rules of religion than his love for God. He was more in love with his status in his religious circles than actually loving God. He tried to find joy in his self-righteous pursuits. And so his identity was in his achievements. His identity was found in how perfect he could be. Listen, this is something that we will fight in our lives always. Trying to find that perfection or trying to be the best or trying to get those accolades. It's amazing how much emphasis that we put on things and grades and achievements to validate who we are. Am I the only one here that struggles with that? Is anyone else out there? Right? It's, it's, there's a struggle with that. And it's, it's interesting how much emphasis we place on getting high grades. So I read this and it was really interesting. Um, there was research done on the grading system. 
And let, let, me, let me give you the background to our, our 4.0 grading system. In April, on April 5th, 1785, the president of Yale actually invented the 4.0 grading system, the first ever grade system. Um, and, and since then, uh, they've estimated that the average American child takes more than 100 standardized tests. Now, I don't know about you. There's some of you that just, you're not good test takers, right? I'm not a good, I, I can do multiple choice, multiple guess, because I can just guess. But, I mean, some people just, they're not good test takers, and, and we place so much emphasis on certain things, and, and people struggle with it, and it puts a lot of pressure uh, on students. Uh, if you look at our world today, we, we are constantly being graded from job reviews to, to review online to grades in school. And we tend to believe that chasing after the perfect score or grades or good reviews will actually make us happier or joyful. We think that if I can just, this is, this is, this is Paul. Paul's saying, I thought I achieved all these things and I thought it was going to make me happy, but it really didn't. And this is the same thing I think that we fight today, that we're chasing that grade or chasing that review. If I just get this, if I just get that, I'll be more joyful or I'll be happier. But let me give you the research behind it and the reality behind it, which is really interesting. We believe that good grades, good reviews, and excellent incentives to make us achieve more will actually help us to feel and be more fulfilled. But the question is, does it? And what researchers have found is when kids were working for grades, they actually felt worse. They did worse. They aimed lower. It's tremendous pressure to feel validated by grades. In fact, I just saw on um, Facebook, because there's nothing else to do now except scroll through Facebook. Um, So I was looking at Facebook and and someone um, posted a valedictorian speech. Of this, of this, and maybe some of you caught this. It was amazing. I, I wish I could tell you the name of the, the, the kid, but he was, he, he noticed that he could achieve um, valedictorian the year before. He noticed his grades were well. So he said, I spent the whole year pursuing this goal of being valedictorian. So he goes, I worked on all my grades, but I did all this stuff. So he's standing up there. He's got all these medals. He's got, you know, his robe on. He's got, uh, his valedictorian scarf on. He's got all this stuff and he stands up there and he goes, I'm going to tell you something. And he begins to give his valedictorian speech. And he says, I went through all the banquets. I got all my medals. I got all the stuff. And he goes, you know what? It was great for about 15 seconds until I sat down. And at the 16th second, I said, that's it? That's it? And what he began to do is he began to reflect <laughs> on all these things he did, the people he ignored to get to this moment of this, this great moment of alligator. And he goes, you know what? It was the 16th second that woke me up. And he began to talk about, and he began to reflect about what are, what, what's the most important? Was it this achievement that's most important? Or is it your relationship, your relationship with God? It was an incredible valedictorian speech, but it's so true. And research has shown that, that when we pursue this grade or this achievement, it's not going to bring us the joy or happiness that we thought because we're putting it into the wrong perspective. And so what researchers have found is when kids are working for just grades, they felt worse, they did worse, and they actually aimed lower. 
It's this tremendous pressure to feel validated by grades. And this is what the latest research has shown us. The latest national survey has found that 40% of college students say they are too, de- too depressed to even function. More than half felt hopeless. And 60% felt overwhelming anxiety. That's something that should, we should begin to take notice of. That, that's something that should bother us. And what they, came, what, they, what they discovered, as many researchers discovered, is that it came down to stress of not making the grade. What will happen to my life if I don't get this grade? And what was interesting is that um, at Yale University, you can elect to take a pass-fail grade. Just a pass-fail grade. So you're not... You're not pressured to try to get this one grade. And what they found is that those that take the pass-fail grade um, actually learn more about what they're studying than those that just take the grade. They just want to get the grade and move on. But those that actually, t- researchers, and those that actually took the pass-fail actually did better and learned more and were more happy. Now, here's what's interesting. Here's what they found out at Yale. Remember, Yale is the guy who started the whole grading system. He's the one that started it all in the late, in the late 1700s. So what they found out at Yale is uh, you can take this pass-fail, uh, just credit or no credit, but professors at Yale are not allowed to know what students have taken the pass-fail grade. Why? It's still considered a stigma for a student not to take the letter grade, so they keep it a secret. Hmm. This is exactly why Paul said, my righteousness and my achievements are meaningless in comparison to knowing Christ. See, I think what's been drilled into us um, is this idea of I'm going to be happy or I'm going to be fulfilled if I can attach this letter grade. Now, listen, I've got, I got, listen, I got three students. You know, I've got, I got two still in college and I want them to do well. You know, I, I mean, you know, oh, good. And we don't have to do anything. You just sit around and be lazy. That, that's not what they're saying here. But what they are saying is, is that if we didn't have the stigma of the letter grade of saying, I'm going to be happy or I'm going to be fulfilled unless I get this, they're saying that's not happening with our students. They're not learning anything more. In fact, they're learning less. They're not fulfilled by this because they're putting their hope and their identity in this letter grade. See, Paul realized that making the grade was the wrong goal. It's the wrong goal. The problem with trying to be righteous and right by the law is for the simple reason it will set you up to fail. It will set you up to fail. And Paul realized this, that I was striving. My goal was the law to be perfect, to get the perfect grade, but it only set me up to fail because I could never achieve it. It was never enough. If you broke one of the uh, 613 laws, you broke them all. The law set us up to be failures and we couldn't do it. And so Paul tried and probably was better than anyone else at being a law keeper. But compared to knowing Christ, here's what Paul tells us. Compared to knowing Christ, he said his works were meaningless and even compared them to garbage. And so I want to read you the words of Paul once again in Philippians. 
in, in chapter 3. And, and listen to what he says here. These, these, this is great. Philippians 3, 7 and 10. He says, I once thought that these things were valuable. You know, I once thought that, man, making the grade, getting the perfect grade, being the best law keeper, I once thought these were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because I want Christ, because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else. Counting it all as garbage is that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. That's where my contentment comes. That's where his joy comes. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. And I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. See, here's the thing. Jesus doesn't expect us to be perfect. He doesn't expect us to be 4-0 or A-plus Christians. If that were the case, we would all give up and feel, feel like failures. Or we would be striving after the wrong thing and not find our contentment and joy in Christ. I like what Steve Johnson says here. Let me close with this, and, and we're going to just sing unto the Lord and, and, and find our hope in him, him this morning. Steve Johnson said, God sees and knows our shortcomings. And that is why in daily life, we need his undeserving favor and grace. Can someone say amen? We need that grace and favor every day. In spite of us, his infinite love is unconditional. Our relationship to God is not based on our perfection, but on Christ. His perfection and obedience is credited to us. So when God looks at us, he sees us as perfect. If we could be perfect on our own strength, Christ's death would have been unnecessary. See, Paul, before he came to Christ, was about himself and how he looked and how righteous he looked before others. After coming to Christ, it was about knowing Jesus and doing what pleased him. And here's what I would just say to you today, is let your joy come from knowing Jesus, not by performing for him. And as the worship team comes and and we just close in in prayer today, um, there's two things I want you to gain from this today. Two things. Listen, I don't know what the next week is going to hold. I don't know what the next two weeks is going to hold. I don't know what the next month's going to hold. Right? Amen? We, we, don't, we don't know. But here, what do we know? We know Jesus right now, don't we? And he's going to be the same. And he's going to walk with us through this. So I would say, listen, Put your strength and your hope. Let the anchor of your soul be in Christ as these days come. And find yourself. Listen, here's what I would tell you. Um, When you wake up in the morning, don't let the first thing you do is just jump on your phone and start scrolling through all the media media feeds, right? Or what everybody else is saying on Facebook or what this. Listen, let, let Christ be your anchor. Turn to his word Worship with the Lord. Let, let a worship song that you've been clinging to, just let that saturate your soul. And let that be your anchor throughout the day. Let Christ be your hope. Turn to him. Use this for other people that are struggling. This could be an opportunity to serve other people.
to love on them, to be a springboard into other people's lives during this time where people may feel uncertain. You can say, you know what? I don't know what tomorrow holds, but you know, I got Christ. I'm content. I'm not worried. I'm not worried. And it's not this, oh, I don't care what happens. They're not using wisdom. But there's an anchor for your soul in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul found. My contentment, whether my stomach was full or empty or whether I had much or little, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And for those of you here today that just feel like, man, I feel so up and down with my walk with the Lord because one day I feel good and the next, next day I feel like I mess up. Listen, find your hope in Christ. Allow Christ to be the one that gives you that strength. And you might feel like a failure in your life or you may feel like you made a lot of bad decisions in your past. Listen, the one that God justifies is the one that humbly comes before the Lord and gives their life to him. Those are the ones that walk away justified and righteous, not with all our accolades, not with all the things we think we've accomplished for God. God says, those things don't impress me. He goes, I just want your heart and your life. Find your identity in me. And then when you do those good works for Christ and you do the things that please him, it's not coming from you trying to perform for Christ. It comes from a heart that's been set free. It comes from a heart that's been humbled by God. And now you just want to please him because you love him and you want to serve him. Not because you're trying to gain his affection or trying to gain your identity by what you do in Christ. And you know what's interesting? When you get to that point in your life, you don't have to tell other people about it. Right? We don't have to brag to people, oh, I'm doing this, and I wake up early, and I do all this stuff, and I pray for 10 hours, and I've read my Bible, you know, I've read through the Bible a thousand times. Right? We don't need to, you're going to find yourself less trying to justify that before people because you don't need to. Amen? You don't need to. I know, man, my heart's right before the Lord. I know I'm not perfect, but I'm coming to him and I know he's going to give me a strength. Amen? Let your identity be in Christ and what he's done for you. So will you stand with me as we just close in song today? Would you pray with me? Let's just pray and ask God just to fill us with his true joy today. Father God, we thank you for your love today. We need you. God, our, our, our world is just bombarding us with all this information and things that could easily grip our hearts to cause fear to well up. But Lord, we're going to put our hope in you today. And we thank you for the joy that you give us in Christ. Thank you for the example that we have in the Apostle Paul of him finding contentment even in the midst of his circumstances. Lord, let that perspective change what we're dealing with today to put our hope in you also, God. I pray for those that are just walking in fear. I pray for those that, Lord, are just struggling with who they are in Christ and their performance and feeling that they don't measure up. God, we just come to you like that sinner, that tax collector, and we just say, we just need you and we are sinners and we, we just need you to forgive us. And thank you that you justify the sinner, that you lift up the humble in heart. So change us today. And as we sing this to you, Lord, may your joy and your hope well up in our hearts. So whatever this week may hold for us, God, we know that you already know what's going to happen. And so we're going to trust you. We're going to trust your sovereignty and your providence. We love you. We thank you. And we ask these things in Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen? Amen.